Awesome. I appreciate everybody coming out this early in the morning on a Saturday. And I, I pray you had bacon for breakfast. I wish I, I got bacon on my mind right now. But yeah, uh, wow, he is good, isn't he? You know, a guy that I like to listen to, Steve Brown, out of Orlando, um, he always says, not only is God better than we think, he's better than we can think, amen? He is not of this world. I mean, when we think about God's love, agape love, it's not like human love. His love is a one-way love, and it's the most powerful force in the entire universe. And, you know, we think of human love, you know, our relationships, sometimes we... We, we're, we love a brother, but then they, they start acting up or whatever. And then we kind of withdraw from them until they get their stuff together. Agape love and God's type love is totally opposite. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So when we're in trouble and, and we're, we're feel like we're messing up or whatever and God, he turns it up. He turns up the love. I mean, that's what he tells us to do. That's what he empowers us to do is love our enemies, amen? And bless those that curse us. And that's hard to do unless you know how much you are loved and valued. Then you'll reflect that to others, amen? But I do want to share with you guys this morning just a little bit of my story. You know, like I told you all last time, I was born and raised here. I played ball in this very, very gym. Your boy dropped 27 points on him. Career high, 27. That's right. <laughs> but I boast in Christ. <laughs> but yes, I grew up here and my grandparents lived like three houses down. Awesome community here. Tight, tight knit fellowship, and a, and uh, and I'm just now, the past few years, really figuring out how awesome my family was because at 15, let me back up there. When I was like six, my grandparents, my grandma, bought me. You remember those old books that came with the cassette? You put the cassette in and you follow long as they read to you and it's like all dramatic reading. But she bought me a book with the cassette and I would put it in at night and it had stories like the prodigal son. And I remember laying in bed and I could feel the presence of God and I could sense his awesome grace through the story of the prodigal son. My kids get so sick of me talking about the story of the prodigal son. But that story wrecked me from a, a really young age. And I think, I honestly believe if that's all we had to preach on was that story of the prodigal son, we could probably preach on that thing for probably the rest of our lives. There's that, that is a well that will never run dry. But I remember feeling the peace of, of Christ. And then later on in life, probably around, I think around nine or ten, there was a Christian rock group called White Cross. Anybody remember White Cross? Yeah, we're old. We're old. But, 
But my brother gave me one of their CDs. And it totally rocked my world. It had me stoked for Jesus. And I remember being a young boy in my basement. And I was like, yes, Jesus, I want you. And I remember, you know, praying the prayer of faith. And just I think I believed before then. But it was like, this is what I want to do. And I could feel the whole basement just fill up with the, the joy of the Lord. And I could sense that he was just pleased with me. And freedom. And then eventually, you know, I turned about 15, started smoking weed, running with the wrong crew. Met some older guys that I thought were cool. You know, I kind of grew up without my dad in the house. So, you know, the struggle with identity, who am I, and my worth. And so I latched on to these people because I thought they loved me and I thought they cared for me. They accepted me for who I was. And uh, just kind of downward spiral from there. And during that time, I would, I would try to pop in and out of church. There would be times that I was really struggling, and I would want to go to church because that's where I thought God was. And I would go to church, and I would get my act together for a little while. But then the message that I would hear, ultimately, I couldn't pull off anymore. So I'd go to church for a little while, and then, you know, gospel, the gospel was presented, but there was a mixture of, here's what you got to do. And eventually, you know, like James quoted Paul, a little law leavens the whole lump. Now, so a little law changes the whole form of the gospel. It turns it into something that is not. And so I would leave the church, feel defeated. God was angry. I would go back drinking, smoking, popping pills, coke, whatever. And then that would I would crash and burn there, try to go back to church. Same message. And I don't mean to be critical about the church. I, I love the church, but I, I want to tell my story accurately. I love the church. Jesus loves the church. So I would leave and come back, and there was times I would get drunk and ask my wife and be like, God's got bigger plans for me, and I'd start crying to her, and she's like, and I wanted her to like sympathize with me, but she's like, well, what are you crying for? You know what you're here for. Go do it. And Which is awesome. She didn't sympathize with me. She told me to go do it. And, um, but along that journey, my grandfather, an instrumental, and if you know me, you know how much I love my grandfather, my grandparents. He was, I'm not for sure where he was really theologically with the gospel of grace. Because he really, we never really discussed that. He just poured out love and grace into my life and was the best example of grace that I've ever seen. And I think all the family can testify to that. But yeah, for the longest time, I thought God was angry at me. And, uh, but how do we know that Jesus died for us to experience freedom? For freedom's sake, Christ died, the Bible said. He wants us free from sin. 
That's why he took the sin of the world and nailed it to a cross. The Bible says he became sin so we could become the righteousness of God himself. It doesn't get much more righteous than that, amen? But I believe, and James kind of hit on this last night, but I believe there's two very important keys to walking in this freedom. Is one is the way we believe God sees us. It's very important to understand God's view of the new creation in Christ. You know, the Bible says that, how does it word it? Holiness with contentment is great gain. So once you, there's a lot of Christians that don't realize they're holy, so there is no contentment. Once you realize the new creation, and you're holy, and like CJ was saying, you live out from that. You know, Christian is the whole Christian thing is from the inside out. Paul said things like awake to righteousness and sin no more. Once you awake to righteousness and you see how beautifully clean you are, it's like your wanter changes. You don't, you don't want to do the things you did. Romans says we become obedient from the heart. How many know you got a heart transplant when you become born again? But the other key to walking in freedom is the way we see God, who we believe He is. And I believe, you know, a lot of these views have been distorted. And um, a lot of tradition has been passed down. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees that you make, make void the word of God by the traditions that have been passed down. And I think we're not experiencing a lot of the things that we could be experiencing because of, of the traditions that we've been taught. And C.S. Lewis described this as parrot talk. I mean, if you talk to a parrot long enough, it's going to repeat what you said. So it's so critical, saints, that we get in our Bible and check for ourselves. Amen? But this morning, I, I want to hit on the way we view God as God the Father. Um... Because this is ultimately what you will reflect to others. Your belief about who he is, is who you will reflect to others. The Pharisees thought God was a religious taskmaster. They thought he was still counting sins against them, so that's what they reflected to other people, amen? And it seems like these were the people that Jesus had an all-out war with. So this morning I want to take a look at the posture of God. You know you can tell a lot by somebody's posture. Anybody have a teenager here? Yeah. Sometimes I ask my teenager to do something and eyes start rolling back in her head and she goes into like these seizure-like things. And I can tell by her posture that she's not pleased with me at all. Um, yeah. So first we've got to answer the question, how do we know what God the Father is like? And one of the things Jesus came to reveal was God as Father. That was so foreign to, to the culture that is God as a Father. But I'll tell you one thing, we make a mistake when we look to the Old Testament. Hebrews 10.1 says that the old way was only a shadow of the good things to come in Christ. 
And so what can you tell by a shadow? If the Old Testament was just a shadow, what can you tell about a shadow? Can you tell if somebody has blonde hair by a shadow? Are they angry? You can't tell a whole lot about a shadow. But Colossians tells us that the substance is Christ. So we get into serious trouble when we look at the shadow instead of the substance of Christ. Hebrews says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The exact representation of the Father. And I think it was Jesus talking to Philip. And um, Philip was like, show us the Father. And Jesus was like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you remember the Jesus walking with the guys, we talked about this last night, on the road to Emmaus. And it says that Jesus opened up the scripture and they could see. And, he, and Jesus says that, it, he says, beginning with the prophets, beginning with Moses and, and all of the prophets, that these were the scriptures concerning himself. So all of the Old Testament, there's awesome pictures and shadows of Christ. And if you think about Noah's Ark, that's one of my favorite pictures of Christ. The Ark representing the cross. And that Noah was placed inside the Ark like we were placed inside of Christ. And it says God sealed up the Ark like we've been sealed in Christ. And then the water represents judgment, and it says Noah passed over judgment, where God blotted out all flesh, and he came to this new reality, a whole new world. And that's what has happened to us, saints. We have come to a, a whole new world in Christ. Another awesome picture is, man, there's just so many of them. We've come to a whole new world. But there's so many awesome pictures in the Old Testament. But when when uh, Jesus opened the eyes of the guys on the road to Emmaus, it says, Did our hearts not burn within us while we talked? And he opened the scriptures to us. I'm telling you, saints, your heart will start burning once you... I used to be fearful of the Old Testament. I mean, I've seen a God that was punishing them. But if you start seeing the picture, and all this was all about Jesus, how many know your Bible is actually all about Jesus, not a rule book? It's a love letter revealing what has been done to you, for you, and to you. And that term, in Christ, Paul pins that term like 86 times. It's like his favorite phrase in the New Testament, in Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? I think we get a good picture of it when you look at the story of David and Goliath. And it's so cool. Another shadow, another type of shadow here. But uh, so David and, and Goliath, Goliath, they, it's such a weird way to do battle, right? You got Goliath, who's the representation of the Philistines. He said, if you all can take me out, we'll be your slaves. We'll serve you if you can find someone. So here comes David. And... Um, 
he, he accepts the challenge. So you got like a one-on-one -on -one fight. And David takes out Goliath, but it says Israel shouted for joy. Why was Israel shouting for joy? Because David took upon himself all of Israel was in him. And his victory became their victory. And they rejoiced and shouted and faith rose up within them. And it says they plundered the Philistines. They wiped them out. So when you see that God has given you the victory, man, faith will rise up in you. But yeah, one of the main things Jesus came to do was reveal God as the Father. And I think this reality was, was buried behind the corrupted mind. You know, when Adam fell in the garden, he changed. His mind changed. And he began to, began to see God as, as someone coming to punish him. Remember, it says they hid from God and they covered up. And God still came looking for him. God didn't change. God still loved Adam. And he came to go for their walk in the cool of the day, it says. And if you read the Bible, God placed Adam out of the garden because God, he didn't want Adam to remain in that state. He didn't want him to remain in that nature, separated from God. And if they were to continue to eat from the tree of life, they would have remained in this fallen state. And God wanted to re redeem them and actually bring in something totally better than what Adam had. We have, you know, God comes to walk in the cool of the day. But how many know you got Christ living inside of you? He's with you everywhere you go. You are all sealed up. You're not a hotel. You're a permanent house fit for a king. So if you really want to know what God is like, you've got to look to the sun. But I'm going to read some of the most radical scripture in the Bible. It's found in Matthew 9, 9 through 11. And we'll take a look at the posture of God. Also describes Jesus as the word made flesh. So it's, you know, we're communicating with words. Jesus was the word made flesh, and this was God communicating. If you want to know the ultimate posture of God, look to the cross. That is the way your heavenly Father feels about you. You know, I used to think that God, okay, Jesus was cool. The Holy Spirit's cool. But we don't want to wake the grumpy old man. we got to tiptoe around him. It was like, I, there's no schism in the Trinity. They, there are three in one, and they were all in agreement that every single one of us were worth the cross. In fact, they loved you so much that they invited us into this perfect love of the Trinity. The Bible says that we have been seated with them in heavenly places. But Matthew 9, 9 through 11, and this is the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. And it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting there at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors 
and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So here we have the Holy Spirit written word of God, and I believe he leaves no detail out. But he actually gives us the posture of Jesus in this verse. And it says that he was literally reclining with sinners and tax collectors. Alright, so to fully, and this is a position of rest, mind you. And I think we've all seen, like, Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, like the panoramic view. That is not an accurate picture of the way they used to eat back then. They used to set up mats around the table, and they would literally, like, chill out and relax. So here is Jesus reclining, relaxing with really bad people. And this upset the Pharisees. But you got to understand who these tax collectors were. They were Jewish people that literally betrayed their own people. And they joined themselves to the Romans to tax their own people and they would skim off the top. They joined the dirty Gentiles. They were thugs. They were gangsters, crooks. Some of the richest people in town, but probably some of the most loneliness. And if a Pharisee brushed up against a tax collector, the Pharisee was going home to change his clothes because he considered himself dirty. Sinners. And they, were, they weren't allowed in the temple. They were exiled from the religious community. And the Bible says there were sinners there. Actually, the Pharisees coined that phrase sinner. I don't believe Jesus ever called anybody a sinner. I mean, he might have called them lost, but that is, that is a Pharisee term. But these sinners, it doesn't really give us much information about them, but we do know they did something to be etched out of the community and no longer welcomed in the temple for worship. And they were viewed like scum of the earth to the Pharisees. And most importantly, these sinners and tax collectors believed they were rejected by God themselves. Because that's what they had been taught. But here comes Jesus claiming to be the Son of God. The exact representation of our Heavenly Father. And he is completely committing social suicide. Totally ruining his reputation. By eating with these sinners and tax collectors. This was a disaster. You see, in our culture, we get hungry. We go down to Burger Dude or wherever and get us a burger right quick. But in the culture of Jesus' time, when you ate with someone, this was considered a covenant meal. You were literally saying, I'm identifying with these people. I'm joining myself with these people in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their guilt. I am becoming one with these people. And it rubbed the Pharisees the wrong way. This wasn't their image of God that they had. And in a refusal to eat with someone, that was very disrespectful. 
respectful. If you think about the story of the prodigal son, you know, the law said both of those boys should have been stoned. The rebellious one and the older one for not taking his rightful spot at his father's table was very disrespectful. But what did God tell the older son? All that I have is yours. Hear that this morning, saints. God is telling you all that I have is yours. That's covenant talk. That's covenant reality. So here's Jesus joining himself to these sinners and tax collectors, to their shame and guilt. And the awesome thing is, is he made no bones about it. This was right smack in the public eye. I believe he had one arm around a drug dealer and one arm around a, a thug tax collector just hanging out. And just a cool fact, our word compassion or companion actually comes from two Latin words. Come, which means with, and pan, which means bread. So a companion is someone you break bread with. And Jesus was saying, I'm your companion. I'm with you. And I encourage you, next time you invite somebody to come to your table that you may not normally Invite them to come eat with you and, and realize the awesome covenant meal that that is. Next time you sit down and have dinner and how we are joining ourselves, even in this room today, we are identifying with each other. And, and so the scripture says Jesus was reclining. And it also says that the sinners and tax collectors were reclining with him. So Jesus is literally putting bad people to rest. And he's letting them know that everything's going to be alright. And one of the cool things, the amazing part is, is there's no sermon being recorded in the scripture here. It's just Jesus having fellowship at a table. You know when Jesus rose from the dead... You know the first place he went to? Back to a table with the disciples and they broke bread. I think it's so important. It's so important to understand that people are drawn to the, this type of posture in Christianity. When they see you at rest with your heavenly father, they will be drawn in. They will want to come and recline with you, with God. Because people are ultimately drawn to love. And they found rest for their souls. The accusations. You remember what the woman called in adultery? The Pharisees threw her down. And Jesus gets down in the dirt with her. How many know that grace gets down in the dirt with you? Grace, that kind of grace, that, that reckless grace will get down and get his hands dirty with you in the dirt. That's in the Bible right there. It says Jesus stooped down. You know, Jesus isn't 
on top of a religious ladder telling us to climb, he's at the bottom in the dirt saying that it is finished. We can rest, we can recline and relax with him. And I promise you, it's out of this, this position of rest that you will experience fruit in your life. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees, just make the tree good and it'll bear good fruit. And they had no clue what he was talking about, but he was talking about the new creation. The tree has been made good, so it'll bear good fruit. I mean, we've got a ton of farmers here. You ever seen a, a corn plant grow a radish? No. You ever hear a corn plant struggle to produce corn? When you're walking in the field then, do you hear a corn plant going, ugh, trying to produce? No, it naturally produces it. It's awesome. But when grace and love are proclaimed, It'll tend to drive everybody in. But this posture of rest is what God desires for you. Remember earlier I told you that I thought God was angry at me all the time. God doesn't desire that. He's so graceful that his throne room is called a throne of grace. That we can find help in a time of need. And rest is really found in, in identity. We've got to know who we are in Christ. So crucial to know who you are and what has happened to you. So crucial to know that Jesus has joined himself to you. If you believe, God has joined himself to you. In all of your shame, in all of your guilt. You know, there was a lot of shame that I carried with me for a long time. I did a lot of messed up stuff. You know, when just trying to get the next high or whatever, trying to escape life. But God isn't holding that against me. But we tend to carry those things with us. You know, Isaiah talks about how the sun was beaten beyond recognition. More, it says more than any of the sons of men. He was unrecognizable. Think about it. Stephen was burned at the stake or stone. And Jesus' beating was worse than that. He lost his image, saints, so we could get ours back. It says he became sin. This awesome exchange happened. He gave us our image back. Our godly image. And he's not. We need to learn to quit carrying our shame and our guilt. And lay it down. And confess. That we are the righteousness of Christ. You know what that word confess means? It means to say the same thing as. So I used to think confession was me telling God how awful I've been. But true confession is saying the same thing as what God says about me. 
my worth. Did you know the Bible says that we've inherited his glory? And that word glory is doxa in the Greek. And that word doxa means good opinion. It says you've inherited Jesus' glory. What God thinks about Jesus, he thinks about you. The way God sees Jesus, he sees you. The Bible says that as he is in this world, so are you. That's true. That's true. You are heaven ready now. If something was to happen to you, and, some, and, and when you pass on from this earth, you are heaven. Actually, you're from heaven right now. You are a heaven creature, creature right now. James always says, the only people that go to heaven are the ones that are from heaven. Man, he, he's taught me a lot, man. This guy's awesome. Always pointing me to Christ, man. I pray you find a brother that will always point you to Christ. That's what it's about. You know, I love it. Man, I got to tell you all the awesome experience I've had with James. But, uh, man, for like a week straight, I was just out of nowhere having really, really bad anxiety. And it was to the point I was texting my wife. I was like, I think I need to get on something for my anxiety, some medication or something. But I was freaking out. And I really don't know why, but, and I can't remember what James texted me. It might have been the parable of the mustard seed. I'll let him share that with you because that's mind-blowing. But he shared that with me, and as I read it, it was such good news that, poof, that anxiety left me, and I was just so stoked. And I'm at work, and I got two girls that sit on both sides of me at my desk. And I literally go, woohoo! And they're all like, and I'm like, oh. I forgot where I was for a second. But in that moment, the good news of Christ, that anxiety had to flee. And I think CJ said last night that God will confirm the word of his grace with signs and wonders. The good news is awesome. I had a friend that received forgiveness, like total forgiveness. Like past, present, and future had a, under, a revelation how, you know, how we're all forgiven totally. And like a mole, like a cancerous mole on her, on her neck just fell right off. Just because she heard the, the reality, the truth of the good news. So you are, the Bible says that we are whole and complete in Him. We are sanctified. The one sacrifice. You know, there's only one one spot in the New Testament that tells us to strive. The only striving a Christian needs to do. In Hebrews 4, this is Paul that tells us to strive to make every effort to enter into his rest. Paul also says that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Amen. Remember when Jesus fed the multitude? Do you remember the disciples came up and they were kind of freaking out? You know, all these people are hungry. We've got to get them some food. And Jesus was like, well, give them something to eat. And they're like, well, we don't have anything. Let's go in the town and get something. And Jesus is like, they don't need to go anywhere. 
And he goes, tell them to sit down. Tell them to relax. I'm going to take care of them. It's in that position of rest that God can do awesome things in our lives. And if you read the Bible, it's oftentimes that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath because the people were at rest and not trying to do things on their own. God wants to, his whole desire is to do and provide. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He says in your weakness, you are strong because that's when he can work. It's just, it's just awesome. It's opposite of what the world thinks. The world tells you to go out there and get it. But the gospel says, relax, let me take care of my bride. It's awesome. And when we're at rest, we can reflect the true nature of God. A lot of times I get people that They'll email me or text me and say, you know, we really appreciate the way you present the gospel. Because you don't judge me. You don't condemn me. You just show me the love of God. And that's where folks are changed. When they know they can enter into the presence of God. I've learned this one thing. The gospel works the best when the gospel does the work. Just trust him. Point people to Christ. My dad used to say, you catch him, he'll clean him. And it's so true. If you just show him the, the, loving, the loving nature of God. They'll forever be changed. He's awesome. Let's just pray a minute. We'll take a 10 minute break and we'll get James up here to share some more of the goodness with you. I appreciate you guys listening. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are, are so, so good to us, Father. Lord, that you love without limits. Lord, you love without walls. You are totally accepting. Lord, you, you've joined us in our shame and in our guilt. Lord, and you said we are beautiful. Lord, that you see no flaw in us. Lord, that we don't have to analyze ourselves anymore because you've analyzed us and you said we are worth it. We are worth the cross, Lord. And your word says that we were the joy that was placed before you. Lord, I thank you that we are the joy of the Lord. Lord, that your word says that you dance over us with singing. Lord, you know how many hairs are on our head, Lord. Your word says that our names are written down in the palm of your hand. Lord, you're awesome. Lord, I, I'm so thankful for the new creation, and I pray that I pray that the inner man would be strengthened through this conference, and we could see how you see. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen.